You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back, everybody, to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. My name is Dan Johnson. I'm your nine-fingered host, and we have a really cool show today. We're going to be talking with Tim Gillingham from Gold Tip Arrows. Now, what makes this so cool is the dude drops a ton of knowledge on us today, stuff that I've never even heard or thought of before, and uh, so... To be honest with you, as soon as I post this, I'm going to re-listen to it because he offers up a ton of great information that I think any serious archer is going to want to hear. I mean, we're talking about accuracy, forgiveness, and that's about tuning an arrow. So there's a ton of awesome info. I hope you guys find it interesting, find it informative, and uh, be sure to listen all the way to the end for this week's uh, Nine Finger Giveaway. So uh, I tell you what, let's get right into it. Enjoy. All right, on the phone with me now is Tim Gillingham from Gold Tip. How you doing today, Tim? Oh, not too bad. Good deal, good deal. For, like I start off with every uh, podcast that I do, how was your 2015 hunting season? Well, it was pretty good. I went to Montana for the first time. Uh, had a great time, shot a nice five-point bull on the second day of the trip, and I took a nice antelope later on in the week, so it was a good time. Uh, went over to Nebraska in the first part of November and, and hunted mule deer over there, so I've been there a couple times. That's always a, a lot of fun. Took a couple nice bucks. It's kind of nice. You can, get, you know, you can get two tags over there, so it's it's a lot of action usually. Was that in the Sand Hills? Uh, it's kind of... Uh, I don't know where you just kind of southwest corner of Nebraska there. So I don't think it's actually sand hills. There's a lot of pasture and farmland around there. Okay. They seem to be real concentrated around, the, you know, the cornfields and stuff, as far as the mule deer anyway. Gotcha. All right. So uh, anywhere else that, I mean, would you consider it a successful season? To me, it sounds oh, like it. Yeah. I mean, I hunt the Wasatch Front here every year or two for, for mule deer too. And it's, um, you know, a lot of it's weather dependent. I mean, I got up there three or four times just – Got into good deer every single time. I had a real monster the last day I was up and just couldn't close the deal, just could not get a shot. And 
it's tough. I mean, I mean, I shoot as good as anybody and as long distance accurate as anybody I know, and I, it's still just tough to get a shot in a lot of these conditions. Though, even though the ruts on those bucks are got does all around them, and they aren't stupid. Are you doing uh, that mountain hunt? Are you doing a DIY kind of backpack in? Oh or? yeah, most of the stuff around here. So we have a we have a uh, extended archery unit here. So it's a late season hunt. It, it's actually a very long hunt. So when the regular season's over. It's archery only for a big portion of the Wasatch Frontier. It's kind of facing the city. Um, and so you get a lot of good age class up in there. But, yeah, it's more mostly just day hunts. I mean, you're up a couple hours before daylight hiking, you know, three or four miles in and a couple thousand vertical feet. It's it's not for the faint of heart. But uh, if, you, if you're willing to work, you can get away from people. And, you know, they take a lot of nice deer off it every year. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like how you nonchalantly said a couple thousand vertical feet. I I climbed up one thousand vertical feet uh, in my Idaho trip uh, this year, and I am a definitely a flatlander from Iowa, so <laughs> it was uh, I was burning. Oh yeah, it, it's good for you. That's right. All I got, right, I got long legs, you know it helps. Yeah, that uh, that does help. All right, so Tim, what what do you, what do you do? Um, what are your, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, what do you do at Gold Tip? Well, over the years, I've done a lot of things here. I've been largely responsible for the flow of the, you know, the line that we have. I started out in sales. Um, I actually started out shooting as a shooter for Gold Tip when I first moved down here from Alaska. So um been here for a long time since, you know, with Gold Tip probably since 2000, 2001. And been working here since 2002. So, you know, I use my experience, my passion for the sport to help, you know, Gold Tips start to develop a line. And eventually I took over the shooting staff and started running a booth at the national level tournament and teaching shooters what I knew and, and helping them and recruiting guys to represent us. And that's primarily what I do. I work with a lot of programs. I run the, you know, a large shooting staff for Gold Tip and Beastinger now. So I'm, I'm constantly educating people on the best ways to use our products and, and uh, trying to make them better archers and better hunters. And I think in the long term, it, it does a very good job. I mean, I, I always say, you know, companies in this industry, you do the best if you have, you know, the best products, the best people, and, and then you educate people how to use them. So. Perfect. With with you being a, a competitive archer, and I take it that uh, with that, you're kind of a gear nut as well. Sure. What, you know, talking to someone who's maybe not, as gear savvy or um, someone who doesn't know maybe what to look for in a good arrow, what what are some things that people need to look for when they're in the process of maybe picking out a, an arrow for their setup? Well, it's kind of like buying ammunition. You know, if you're just shooting ground squirrels or shooting deer at 20 yards, you can probably get away with a, a 6,000 straightness arrow. But if you're like me, you want the very best stuff you can get. Um, you know, our Pro Series shafts are... are the best way to go and then also there's a lot of techniques in building arrows uh, that make a better product um, and better finished product you know you can only buy a certain level of accuracy you have to create it after that and we do some videos on our, our YouTube link on the website where I kind of cover some of those techniques um, but one of the big differences in carbon arrows is there's a perception out there that carbon arrows are either straight or it's broken and it's not necessarily true um, there's also a perception that you can shoot the spine out of a carbon arrow. And where that comes from, I believe, is there's a lot of carbon arrows on the market that will actually 
hold a bend when you actually bend them. So over time, you're going to be able to shoot them arrows out. And this is usually caused by non-carbon material in the shaft, whether it's fiberglass or you know, a higher resin content due to the type of layup they use you know, on, on the particular arrow. So the main thing you're looking for is a shaft that we consider has good memory. So we take the time to tune a set of arrows in and we really get them going. We don't want them to be changing on us as we're shooting them. So, so there's a lot of. Um, I get, can you go into some more detail about that? Uh, how those well, are made, or yeah. a little bit. I mean, we we build a shaft that's you know what we call a pre-preg rolled shaft. It takes a lot more labor to build a shaft like we build. Um, it's basically you know carbon that comes in big sheets and it's just cut into patterns and then rolled onto a, a mandrel and and then it's you know in different patterns and densities and you know, directions and things like that to achieve, you know, the, the finished spine and, and weight that you're looking to get. Um, other processes are done in a poltrusion machine that's a lot less labor intensive, a lot cheaper to weigh to make a shaft, but it doesn't necessarily make as good a shaft. Um, one of the examples I give you is Gold Tip, you know, has pretty much uh, taken the stance with our, like our target arrows where, you know, you really don't need all these different soft spined arrows to to achieve good accuracy and, and our shooting staff has proved that. You know, we we have one of the most dominating shooting staffs in the industry. And we're doing this with, with arrows that a lot of people think that, you know, is not kosher because you know a lot of old school guys still are in the process of tuning the arrow to the bow when in fact you should be tuning the bow to the arrow in today's age. You know, there, there, any, any tuning problems you have, you know, you got a left hair, that just tells me that the string is hitting the arrow left of center. So we need to adjust the bow to drive the string down the center of the arrow. You know, the attributes of shooting a stiffer arrow rather than a weaker arrow is that it's dynamically more consistent, it's stronger, it's going to penetrate better. You know, just a lot of things that make it a better arrow. Um, so, you know, when we make recommendations to never push the weak side of an arrow, if a when in doubt, go stiffer. I mean, that's that's a lot lot to do with it. So, can you elaborate on that comment about tuning the bow to the arrow? Sure, absolutely. There are four things that you can do to correct the left tear, and there are four things that you can do to correct the right tear. And and let's just cover them quickly. Okay, a left tear just tells me that the string is hitting the arrow left to center. Okay, some bows pervasively have a left tear problem. What a lot of bow manufacturers and engineers don't understand is the human element. Okay, a lot of these hunting bows, especially, they're high let off, they're low brace height, they're very difficult. You know, it takes an expert to shoot them, really. Um, and so, it's very easy for a shooter with without good experience and good form to manipulate the bow left or right and cause tuning problems. So, you know, there's, you know, I, I shoot for PSE. Um, and I really, you know, like and enjoy the bows I shoot. But if you want to look down the list of bows on the, you know, without throwing anybody under the bus, there are, there are reasons why certain bows, you know, tune the best. And the first example I would give you is Bowtech, for example. Most Bowtech bows, some of them not, but some of their overdrive baronary cams have a double yoke system. They have a flex guard in the middle, two cams that are basically the same. A system like that is going to have extremely good knock travel. Okay, the flex guard, similar to what I have on my PSE, takes the side load off. 
and you got two cams that basically are the same, so they have pretty, you know, really good vertical knock travel. And so you're, and you have yokes that you can make minor adjustments, you know, to change where the string hits the back of the arrow. Then you go to say a PSE system like the drive cam. Drive cam is similar to like Hoyt's spiral cam, except the fact that it doesn't have a stop on the top cam. So here you have a hybrid cam system that that are they're not exactly the same. So your vertical knock travel is a little bit more, um, a little bit easier to screw up, I guess you'd say. But the nice thing about the drive cam system is it doesn't have a stop on it like, say, Hoyt spiral cams have, so you don't have to time to it. So you can actually manipulate the knock travel vertically without having to um, change the feel of the setup. You know, you can do the same thing with like a Hoyt spiral cam, but then you end up, you know, changing, you know, you got one stop hitting in front of the other, and so you have this, this big bump in there. And then you go down the list of the bows and the bow companies that build bows, you know, with binary cam systems without yokes. Those bows are fine vertical usually for, for knock travel, but they're very difficult to tune left and right because they don't have yokes. And things like flex guards, uh, tilt tamer systems, and kind of like Hoyt has on, on some of their target bows or the, the flex guard systems they have, really do a lot to get rid of a lot of left and right tears that we, you know, had in the past. And... So there's lots of things you can do. So for a left hair, the number one thing that, you know, that people talk about is moving the rest to the right for a right-hander. For me, that doesn't do a lot. I have a long draw length. I think the shorter you go with draw length, the more rest actually moves it because the angle from the, the knock to the rest is a little bit, you know, sharper. Um, yoke systems on a bow is just like probably the best way to tune a bow. So when I get my bows closed, especially bows like PSE that have a, have a flex guard system. You can fine tune the yokes. If you got a left tear, twist the left yoke, untwist the right yoke. And if you got a right tear, you twist up the right yoke, untwist the left. Because you, once you get a bow tuned, you don't want to change the cable length because you change the poundage and the draw length. Um, so there's there's you know there's other things that people you know don't talk about when you're tuning bows. Um, you can shift the wheel to the left. A lot of times guys can. They'll move the rest to the right, and all of a sudden they got a clearance problem. So in order to give them more room for clearance, you simply move, shift the entire wheel system to the left slightly. Sometimes only 15 or 20 thou makes a big difference. And you know those are those are some of the things you can do to correct left tears. Up and down tears, we just simply want to talk to them, you know, talk about them as the best way to, for me to, I guess, give you a picture of what's happening is just a balance on how the top cam and bottom cam are working together to deliver the knock straight. So if you've got a vertical tear, it tells me the top cam is taking up more string than the bottom cam. So you've got to you know, slow it down a little bit and get them back in line. Or you can move the knock point to move you know, the, the pressure point more towards the center. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's it's stuff that I do every every day. You know, I probably shoot five thousand arrows a year through paper. Yeah. And so I have got a very good understanding. It took me a lot of years to get my head around all this, and and I always, for a lot of years, thought that I couldn't tune a bow because of my draw length, when in fact it was just a misunderstanding of what was actually happening. Right. Right. With and that and that's crazy because you've just went into a lot of detail and obviously you're a professional at this and you have to deal with it on a daily basis but I almost feel like a majority of the bow shops or even the big box stores would have no clue how to fix some of those problems no and they don't and and a lot of times the archers they're dealing with aren't good enough 
Um, if a guy can't pick a bow up and cannot shoot the same tear twice with the same arrow, hey, what are you going to do to the guy? you got to teach him form first. And that's right. the advantage of going to a good pro shop. You know, there are good pro shops and there are bad pro shops. Every once in a while, you can even find a box store with a good guy working there that knows what he's doing. Um, but usually, you know, they don't attract the best employees because they don't pay enough. So, right. Right. Um, Just, you know, guys that are really good at competitive shooting and things like that tend to have the personality where they're not going to work for nothing either because, you know, they're just overachievers in, in general. Well, I tell you what, I might have to make a drive to to Gold Tip to have you take a look at my bow. <laughs> well, it's it's not – I can solve most tuning problems over the phone. You tell me what it's doing. You tell me your bow setup. You tell me your poundage, your arrow length, and I can pretty much tell you what to do to that particular bow or if you're going to have a problem with it. You know, there are a couple of bows on the market that just frankly are untunable. When you don't have a yoke system – when you don't have a flexible cable guard system, you are at the mercy of where the bow drives the, the string. And they've left nothing for you to adjust. And if a manufacturer thinks that you can simply just move the rest and tune a bow, they are sorry, sorely mistaken. And, and, I mean, if you don't feel comfortable saying those, that's fine. But if if you if you are comfortable with it, what, what particular – because I do – I also do a bow uh, review – podcast as well so it, any information for our listeners would be helpful well i, I don't want to get myself in a position where i'm, I'm naming names yeah uh, but it just simply you go through the cam systems that i talked about and you're going to see a pervasive problem wherever you don't have yokes you're going to have left and right knock tuning problems wherever you don't have a yoke wherever you don't have a flex guard system Okay. Um, it's simply because you're loading everything up at a given point. And I have never tuned the arrow to a bow except when I shoot a recurve. You know, with a recurve bow, you're forced to tune the arrow to the bow because you're shooting around a shelf. There's nothing to adjust. So you're forced to bend the arrow and get the arrow spine just perfect to where when you're causing all this disturbance in the arrow, it's still going to track straight when it comes out of the bow. And, you know, that's not as optimal of a, of a setup, you know, because if I can go a little stiffer with an arrow, I get much more dynamic consistency, meaning I'm able to achieve same hole accuracy much, much easier. And one of the best tips I can ever give a shooter or a hunter, especially, and this is where I learned this, is shooting broadheads, and it's quickly becoming common knowledge. Um, but what I call dynamic spine tuning is simply taking every arrow, shooting them through paper at five yards and rotating knocks until they all shoot exactly the same tear. Because one thing I guarantee you is the broadhead will always steer opposite of the paper tear. So it stands to reason they all need to be doing the same thing. And you can waste all the money you want on spine testers and floating and all this other garbage that doesn't work. The only thing that works and, and is close to what shooting them in on a shooting machine is, is a paper test. Paper tells you dynamically what's going on. And I will argue with anybody that spine testers cannot achieve same all accuracy because I'll take a bow, and I do this over and over again. I'll shoot a set of arrows in under one tune, and I got them all shooting exactly the same. And then when I finalize or go to a, a slightly different setup, there's some of those knocks that will have to be re, you know, rotated again to get me optimal you know, performance and the same dynamic reaction. So slight things that I'm doing with the bow is changing – you know, how much load it's putting on the arrow. Therefore, it's 
changing how how that arrow reacts dynamically. Okay. So it's dy dynamic spine that matters. And dynamic, for people who understand static and dynamic, is simply static is just a static test like I'm hanging a weight from an arrow. Dynamic is how it reacts when it's being shot. All right. So, so the goal then would be to, from a dynamic test, is to try to have all of your arrows meet that same dynamic standard as possible for you yeah. to get the best accuracy? Exactly. And what you'll find when you start shooting stuff through paper, if you're too weak in spine, you're going to have a lot of variation from arrow to arrow to arrow. Same thing you'll find if arrows are, you know, overly crooked. Um, I can take a set of arrows that are plus or minus 6,000, so a total of 12,000. You've got 50 yards, shoot a two-inch group with them. Yeah. Um, I still don't want those in my quiver. I want to build the best arrows I possibly can because if I'm going to shoot, you know, a four-inch group at 100 yards, I need arrows that are going to shoot in a, an inside out in a dime at 20. Right. Now, from a manufacturing standpoint, you know, I go into a big box store or I go into, um, you know, I go into uh, my, my pro shop and I pick up a box of gold tip arrows that already have the knock and the fletching on, on them. Are, are those going to be exactly the same or is there, a ver is there gonna, going to be variation well, in, in the alignment? Pro, in, in gold tips pro series arrows, um, you can only control the variables that you can control, right? So pro series arrows are all weight sorted plus or minus half a grain. So there's a there's a, a sticker on the package that tells you the grain weight of those arrows. So it allows a shooter to be able to reorder or rebuy them as close as he can to the same weight. That's for a shooter that's, you know, longer distance. I mean, honestly, you cannot even, inside of 50 yards, 10 grains really is not even noticeable. Um, so if you're a guy that's only shooting inside of 10 yards, I wouldn't, or 20, 30, 40 yards, I wouldn't even worry about weight. You know, an XT hunter or a, something like that might be good enough. Um, but no, you cannot achieve same hole accuracy unless you get lucky. I've done it. I've shot 48 kinetics in a row in the same arrow hole. I mean, that's the best I've ever done without doing a darn thing. But as a rule, it's kind of like buying ammunition. Can you buy ammunition over the counter that will shoot in the same arrow or the same bullet hole or, you know, sub quarter minute angle. Probably not. You have to load your ammo to get that kind of, you know, or you got to pay a, a tremendous amount of money for it. If you're buying it from, you know, best of the West or, you know, outfits like that, that take the time to hand load it for you. So you're going to get incrementally better yardage, you know, better performance as you go up in a straighter and straighter arrow. But there's lots of things that affect accuracy, like knock fit. If your knocks are too tight on the string, it's probably one of the biggest things that can kill your accuracy. So you need to learn to identify that kind of stuff so that, you know, you can make a, a change. And everybody wants us to make their our knocks fit their string when string manufacturers are all over the place. You know, I always tell guys it's 20 grand for a knock mold and dollar for a piece of serving. So, <laughs> you know, you just got to, you know, you got to just get it right, and I'm sure there's all kinds of videos all over the internet. But main main rule of thumb on on knock fit is you want to be able to, you know, draw the string back about a half an inch to an inch, let go, and you want it to come cleanly off the string. If it's hanging up, it's gonna be a problem. Got uh, yeah. All right. So I you know I I understand maybe the an arrow for your bow setup 
you know, you, let's say you're shooting 80 pounds and you got a, a light spine. I understand that there's going to be, you know, a lot of bow flex coming off that, uh, or arrow flex coming off that bow. Now, is it possible to shoot an arrow that is too stiff for your setup? Um, I don't think so. No. Um, it, it has a lot to do from a, you know, as far as tuning and anything else, you, you know, I, I won IBO world one year with 50 grain points and a 100 spined arrow. It's about as critical a setup as you could imagine. And, but I was able to get a perfect bear shaft tune. Now, when you talk forgiveness, on the other hand, that's not the most forgiving setup you could ever put together. And the same thing goes with stiff arrows. I mean, in the relative terms of how stiff arrows are, um, you, where you run into issues is when you try to run small fletching, okay? If, if you take a stiffer arrow, you can counteract some of the negative effects or the, the forgiveness effects by, by a bigger profile fletching by more point weight. Those point weight and fletching size are probably the two biggest contributors to forgiveness. So you want to, you know, I think it's important to, you know, it kind of depends on the level of shooter you're dealing with. You know, if a guy's has really consistent form, he probably is not going to tell a heck of a lot of difference. If a guy's a so-so archer, he might be a little better off with an arrow that's kind of right, you know, close to, you, you definitely don't want to be weak, but you definitely don't want to be like super stiff, you know, if you're going to try to run like small fletchings, if you're running mechanical broadheads or something like that. If you do go stiffer, you may end up having to run a little bit bigger fletching to, to get kind of the same results. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's something that I might be having a problem with. I know I use those smaller blazer veins um, and not the longer fletchings for... Well, no, I don't know that I agree with that because the blazer... In, in my experience, you know, the height of the vein has more to do with accuracy okay. and, and correction correction of a bad shot. Now, one thing I found a long time ago was that uh, four-fletch does a heck of a lot better job than three-fletch when you're dealing with correcting fixed-blade broadheads. And so if, if four-fletch works better with fixed blades, it's going to theoretically work better with everything. You know, when I run mechanical broadheads, I run a four-fletch, but I run just a smaller vein than I do with a fixed blade. And the reason is, is I'm trying to cut down on noise. Animals jump, jump the sound of the arrow coming at them. Everybody thinks it's the bow, but it's actually the sound of the arrow coming at them that they're, they're getting out of the way of. Okay. So the best thing to do, I guess, explain, is there such thing as a perfect setup as far as broadhead and fletchings are concerned? Well, you, you have to experiment. Okay. I talk a lot with a guy over in South Africa named Steve Colbrin. Steve Colbrin's probably killed more animals with a bow and more world record animals than anybody I know. Um, guys like Jim uh, Burnworth, those guys put down a lot of animals here. Um, now Jim's a staunch, fixed-blade broadhead guy, and that, that's fine. Um, but I've done a ton of testing at 100 yards, and, and I'm sorry, I get way better forgiveness and way better accuracy out of a mechanical broadhead. So... We can fight that argument all you want. My my main rule of thumb is if you're if, one of the things I and when I was going back to Steve, Steve is the one that taught me about quiet arrows. He did some testing on Impala where he was shooting away from the blind into a target and then at the animals and filming their reaction. He said it was just completely different because he always used to order these three inch super spine vein tech veins from me, and I always thought it wasn't quite enough. 
but he said it's by far the quietest thing that, that you can, you know, shoot down range. But when you're shooting a vein like that, you got to be careful that you don't get too much blade surface area on your broadhead. Otherwise, you're you're not going to have enough control on the rear end to to you know to control it. So, and that's where uh, four fletching might help. Well, yeah, but then again, you up the noise factor when you go four fletch. I can shoot fixed blades very accurately, but I have to run like four blazers. It sounds like a freight train coming at the animal. Okay. So you know, it's you can go to veins. You know, I run vein tech veins a lot because they're smooth, they're uh, very thin. Well, they slice through the air. They don't create quite as much noise as a thicker, you know, a thicker vein with a lot of texture to it. Um, so it, you know, there's ways of getting around it. You know, it just takes a little experimenting. But it's one of the reasons I like mechanicals so well is that it takes less vein to control them, and so therefore less noise. Got yeah. Wow, I'm getting, I'm definitely getting an education today. I love it. Um, so, as far as let's let's talk a little bit about scenarios. All right. So, in that scenario that you just mentioned about making, you know, four four fletchings may equal a lot of noise. Is that really is that really a big deal for maybe someone in the Midwest who's hunting out of a tree stand and, and maybe shooting at most thirty yards? Well, most guys, you know, you have to you have to understand who you're dealing with. Okay, if you're dealing with a guy that's not an expert shooter, best thing you can do is put more fletching on his arrow. Okay, he's going to benefit more from making his shot more accurate than he is from you know dealing with having to deal with the animal jumping the string or jumping the arrow. It's like you know I I shoot a lot of long range shooting, but when you try to think about shooting like a whitetail at long distance, I mean it's a different animal. You gotta be very very careful because they're just on pins and needles. I mean I shot a coos deer two years ago and sucker come out of his bed. He was bedded down looking the other way, come completely out of his bed before the arrow got there. It was ridiculous. I had never seen anything move so fast, and so it. Does it matter? Yeah. Do I think I personally, you know, my personal opinion, I think most most rookie shooters or most guys that don't spend a lot of time doing it like I do are much better off with a mechan- good mechanical broadhead simply because it's more forgiving. Yeah, yeah. It's more it's more accurate. It and in my experience, I shoot, you know, NAP kill zones is probably my favorite. Um, rages are good. Everything I shot with a rage has been really good. But you've got to kind of pick your animal. I mean, your broadhead based on your, you know, how much energy you have to drive it through the animal. But shot placement is the key to penetration. Right. Okay. And there's a lot of people that argue, well, or I hear guides up and, you know, we still got to deal with fixed blade broadheads in Idaho because people think they wound more animals with fixed, with mechanicals. And I would disagree 100%. We wound more animals with fixed blades because people don't have a clue how to tune them. And they don't know how to make them shoot. Right. You know, one of the worst shots I've ever made on animals is six blades, and I'm pretty good with them. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let's uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about maybe uh, some scenarios here and what arrow you might um, recommend for s- certain types of hunt. And I think sure. the the and I know a lot of it has to do you know there's so many variables, but um, Let's just talk about hunting right now and go with maybe someone um, that's hunting whitetail from a tree stand, and like I said, or maybe even a blind, and their 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 max may be forty yards. 
You know, I just think people get way too creative when they're dealing with arrows. Um, for that scenario hunting, for most guys, the velocity hunter lineup or the pro hunter lineup in gold tip is probably the optimal arrow. You're dealing with an internal component system, which is a lot easier to work with. Um, it's easier to get your broadheads to spin. You don't have to deal with outserts. It's a stronger system. They're easier to tune simply because they're a little bit bigger diameter. They present a larger target for the power stroke of the string. Um, when you get down to skinny arrows like our new Platinum Pierce, and it's man, it's going gangbusters. People, you can, we can, I mean, we're five. We go from four weeks to five weeks out this week on them, so they're they're just going out of here as fast as we can make them, and. You know, they're sexy, you know, people like those little skinny arrows, you know, but 50% of them were probably selling into target archery. So, but the average guy, honestly, would be better off with just a, you know, a pro hunter, XT hunter, expedition hunter. It's got the best balance of speed, weight. If you want a little bit faster, go to our velocity lineup. Um, but they all have internal component systems. They're very simple knock systems. Um we have guys winning World Cup, you know, World Cup of Archery was won with a Velocity Pro Hunter. I mean, that's as one of the, one of the biggest stages in archery was won with our hunting arrow. So it's accurate enough to do anything you want, and especially accurate enough and, and more conducive to, you know, you know, good broadhead flight inside of 40 yards and about anything you could use. Okay. All right, now let's move out uh, on maybe like an antelope hunt. Uh, where you're going to be shooting maybe a little bit longer than 40 yards um, and maybe even out, you know, maybe between 40 to, to 60 yards. It all depends. But uh, is there a, a, a different arrow that you might recommend for that? I wouldn't be afraid to say that. A lot of animals are killed at 80 and 90 yards. So I know that's hard for guys back east to figure out. But, you know, the average hunt, hunter out here in Utah, the average shot hunting is 50 yards. Um, would be my guess. Uh, there's things that you want to take into consideration. One of the things I'll you know, go back to the other scenario. When you're dealing with the pro hunter, velocity hunter, this is an arrow that's made with a mid-modulus graphite. Okay. The mid-modulus graphite is a lot stronger. Okay. It's a lot more ductile. When you get into arrows like our Platinum Pierce, in order to get that small of a diameter, and to keep the spine in that diameter, you either, you have to go up in sidewall thickness, but you also have to go up in modulus of graphite. So keep in mind, it does create a little bit more brittle of a shaft. I mean, they're still pretty dang tough. But if we put it in a brake tester, I don't know if you've seen some of our bend test stuff we do at the trade shows and stuff, but, yep. you know, a high modulus graphite shaft will not take near the abuse of a, of a mid-modulus graphite, like our kinetic... Um, or, you know, the pro hunter or velocity hunter. So that's just another thing. Now, antelope, you're dealing with wind is your primary problem, okay? Longer range shooting, you know, you want to keep the velocity up. That's where limiting the profile in the front of the arrow, mechanical broadheads, you're dealing with thin skin aminal. You really, most people can shoot a good mechanical. Um, point weight, when we shoot feet of archery, we're shooting 140 grains in the front of our arrows. That's to fight off the wind. Wind drift comes primarily from planing, 50% of planing. Everybody thinks it's from the side profile of the arrow moving sideways, but what it actually is is when the wind hits the back of the fletching and pushes the arrow to the right, the point veers off to the left, catches wind, and takes off. Similar to driving down the road 
and sticking your hand out the window of the car. The faster you're driving and the more surface area you make your hand, the faster it's going to deviate left or right. So mechanical broadheads that have a low surface area, a heavier, you know, you might customize and use our fact weight system, throw another 20 grains in behind the, the broadhead. Those kinds of things are going to help you, you know, for the longer range stuff. Mass weight's the key to the wind, but mass weight and point weight is the key to long-range wind shooting. But you keep in mind, when you start adding point weight, you may start despining that arrow. So you may have to go up in, in spine size. Despining meaning there's just well, too much? Well, I'll give you a good example of it. You're putting the weight in the front. So when the back of the, you know, the bow smacks the back of the arrow, it's the whole mass in motion thing. It takes a little bit longer for that mass to get into motion. Therefore, you're bending the shaft more before it gets moving. The more you bend the shaft, the more you bring out the dynamic differences in it. Now, older shafts like aluminum, for example, aluminum is a very consistent material. Okay, so you could, you could shoot a soft spine aluminum arrow and get good accuracy simply because the material bends very, very consistently. Carbon is not that way. You have to take carbon and run it a little bit stiffer than you would a carbon, a carbon aluminum. And I go back to a test I ran when we first got a Hooter shooter here, and I wanted to see, you know, how much does spine affect accuracy. Okay, so I went and got 15 different brands of carbon arrows and aluminum arrows and aluminum carbon. Sure enough, the aluminum had the best static spine. The aluminum carbon had the second best. But I had three brands of carbon arrows outgroup the ACC, with twice the spine variation. So, you know, it, it it's all relative. So, got ya. All right. So, now now we're heading out west. Maybe we're in the mountains. We're doing a, you know, a vertical hunt where we're going to be shooting up and down um in some higher elevation, uh, elk or mule deer or even sheep. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you can pretty much use the same arrow. There's okay. more more elk die here in the state of Utah from a 55, 75, 75, 95 than about any other arrow. It's more about broadhead choice. You know, you're dealing with big boned animals like elk. Um, you're trying to shove a big giant two blade mechanical broadhead through it. You you better have some energy behind it. You know, I still shoot elk with both of my two blade kill zones, but I'm running 105 foot pounds of energy or more. So if you're only running 60 foot-pounds of energy, you probably want to either lean to an inch-and-a-half mechanical or go to a cut-on-contact fixed-blade broadhead, you know, for elk. Uh, the vertical stuff, that's just more technical knowledge when it comes to learning how to cut angles, you know, shooting on angles and things like that. That's that's a much more of a technical skill. Um, but elk and, you know, moose and big-boned animals like that, mule deer aren't that tough. I mean, they really aren't elk aren't really that tough if you shoot them in the right spot. The problem is, is people think they're going to shoot through the shoulder blade of something, and you're not. I have 112 foot-pounds out of my bow two years ago, 112. I hit a, you know, I, I kind of creeped on a shot and hit a deer in the shoulder in Nebraska, and it, it, the arrow basically fell out in about three hops. I mean, that's a huge amount of energy, you know, 515-grain arrow at 315 foot a second. So, shot placement's key. Mm-hmm. So you want to shoot what you're the most accurate with. Okay. And that, that happened with me. Um, I hit a, I hit a deer in the shoulder 
right in the joint, and it I didn't get the penetration that I wanted. So the next year, I bumped up to a heavier arrow, and I and like I I tell my buddies, I I drive. I'm trying to drive the Mack truck. I'm not so concerned about speed, but more concerned with kinetic energy. Uh, w- would you recommend a particular, you know, like the Mack truck of gold tip? Well, I mean, a Mack truck is going to be our kinetic line, our kinetic chaos line. It's your heavier weight shaft that, you know, mid, you know, it's a smaller, a little bit smaller diameter. Um, and I always use the analogy penetration, because you know, just cover penetration real quick. There's four things that contribute really to penetration. Shot placement, broadhead design, aeroflate, I guess five, weight and diameter. And I think they're in that order. Shot placement's key. So if you slow your bow down too slow to where it's critical for you to make the shot, if you're only shooting 20 yards out of a tree stand, you really, you know, yardage is never, yardage is still the biggest problem with a bow hunter. You've got to know how far it is. And it's all, you know, over there in Nebraska hunting these mule deer and it, things happen fast. The hardest thing is getting the right range fast enough. So it kind of depends on the scenario. So broadhead design is very critical. If you're trying to shove a giant broadhead through something, it's going to take more energy. Arrow flight is extremely critical to penetration. Okay. We set a target up up here at Bowcast at the Bird one year at 110 yards. Those arrows pulling out of that target were so freaking hard to get out. And it's because when they hit that target, they're flying so perfectly straight that they're channeling all of their energy right down the center of the shaft. And I use an analogy a lot in my seminars where I, I used to work on the railroad, and, and we had a spike ball that we drove spikes in with, and you had one end that was probably an inch and a half in diameter, the other end was about, oh, a little about an inch in diameter. Maybe, well, maybe it was an, two inches and an inch and a half, but one was smaller than the other. Now, if you could hit that spike dead in the center with the smaller end, it would drive it in faster. But ever so slight of a glancing blow, you might as well use the other end that had a higher you know, surface area coverage of the spike. And that's the same analogy I use when you're dealing with a mid-diameter arrow versus a small-diameter arrow. You're presenting a larger target for the power stroke of the string. So arrow flight's very critical to penetration. You know, if you can get perfect arrow flight with a small heavyweight shaft, theoretically that's the best penetrating scenario you can get. So... You know, a lot of people think it's just pure mass weight. Yes and no, but if it, you know, if I'm shooting a rainbow downrange and I, number one, I can't even reach the distance I want to reach if I'm going too slow. You know, you have to be very careful to get a good range finding reading. Same thing when I shoot tournaments. If I go too slow on my setups, then everything becomes more critical. I miss a lot high and low. Okay, so speed has a lot to do with accuracy a, as well. No, there's a balance in everything. If you try to push a fixed blade broadhead too fast, you're going to have problems, just like the analogy of your hand, you know, flying in the wind outside the car window. You know, if you make a mistake, it's going to be twice as, you know, it's going to penalize you twice as, as hard the faster it's moving. So, the, you know, so there's a happy medium of, say, around 280, 290 to a second. I wouldn't want to run a fixed blade much faster than that. And you see that a lot with crossbow shooters nowadays. They just want to shoot as fast as possible when, in fact, they should be shooting a much heavier arrow and slowing it down if they want to shoot fixed blades. Otherwise, just put them in a good mechanical broadhead, and then they can, you know, they can shoot a lot faster with with good results. Got you. So when you go out and you do your different hunts out, you know, for elk or mule deer or whitetail or antelope or whatever, do you have different arrows and different setups? Nope. Nope. What is your current setup? 
I'm going to shoot a Platinum Pierce 250. I shoot about 75 pounds. Um, it'll be shooting about 320 feet per second with a 420 grain arrow. Okay. I mean, plenty of plenty of punch for anything, and I'll probably shoot an NAP kill zone for everything. I either that or I mean, you know, I, I shoot a mechanical for everything. I only shoot fixed blades when I'm forced to. Did you see the uh, new NAP full the blades fully enclosed? Yeah, I saw it. I'm I'm intrigued by it, but I'm not hugely impressed until I see it in action, you know, it's one of the things you got to worry about with broadheads like that is, I mean, are they going to lock the blades open? If you do lock the blades open, then you have a barbed head and it's not legal in a lot of places. So if you don't lock them open, then will they close up once they get inside the chest cavity? So I I don't know. I'm a big connoisseur of broadheads. The main reason I like the kill zone is the, the NAP heads, the practice blades they put with them, fly exactly the same as the head at 120 yards. So that is extremely difficult to find. One of the biggest challenges I have with broadheads and being able to be very accurate at long range is how am I going to practice with them? Broadheads do not fall like field points, contrary to what every manufacturer in the country is trying to tell you. You can make your broadheads and your field points fly like, you know, hit the same point, but they do not fly like each other. You know, broadheads have higher drag effect as a rule than, you know, than a field point does. So they, and they have, they're, most of them are longer links, so they actually change the dynamic flex point in the shaft. So if I shoot a long field point, like I'll do a lot of my tuning with bare match points when I go in and tune my hunt arrows because it's longer and it mimics the dynamic reaction a little bit more consistently than it would if I were to just do it with a field point. I got you. So with um, – oh, I forgot what I was just going to say. Oh, let's say – let's take someone with poor shooting form. Mm-hmm. Is can, – can you tune accuracy? Sure. Okay. You, can tune for, you can tune forgiveness, absolutely. Clearance is absolutely 100% important, okay? I've been a big part of building the Hamsky drop-away rest, Um the Hamsky Versa rest and and the new rest they have out this year are just phenomenal, you know, phenomenal quality drop weight. And, and I prefer limb driven drop weight rest, uh, just simply because they stay up longer in the shot cycle. Um, which means in a hunting scenario, when you draw the bow back, the rest comes up instantaneously. So you don't have to, you know, wait for your broadhead to dang near hit the riser before the rest is up. And the importance of that is the arrow rest stays up a little bit longer, so you get better guidance. You want the rest to drop when the arrow is in its vertical crest, which is about the middle point of the shaft. So, Because if you leave it up too long, then you have it reversing the paradox and slapping back into the rest. So just because you've got to drop weight, you still got to use spray put powder and powder everything and make sure you have clearance. And I see that a lot with some of these you know, QAD drop ways and some of these real tall launchers that are really hard to get out of the way fast enough. And it happens more with short drawings because see, if I'm shooting 300 foot a second and a guy with a 28-inch drawing shooting, you know, the same speed, his arrow is going to get – his fletching arrow going to get to the rest a lot sooner than mine will. Right. So, you know, with a limb-driven rest, it's tied into the limb. It's being forced out of the way. But I've even seen scenarios where even with limb-driven rests, if you have – 
it's set up just wrong, you can actually run into a clearance problem, especially with a really fast bow. Like I, you know, I shoot my IBO bows extremely fast. I'd never hunt with that kind of speed. It's just too critical, but and you got a broadhead on the front, so it's going to make it worse. Got you. Now, but well, back on forgiveness. I mean, I I, I forgot to cover the, probably the biggest thing you can do for a shooter that's not that's not really good is fletching. Put four blazers on there, and he'll be able to shoot virtually anything. Okay. Or four, you know, two-inch high profiles. Or I, I like a two and a half inch vein tech V Max. That's one of my favorite setups there. All right. Now, let's see here. When let's let's talk about Gold Tip as a company. And a guy goes into a sporting goods store and he he has a decision to make. He's like, okay, well, I got all these arrows on this wall. Why should some? Why should this guy or gal choose Gold Tip over the the other? I guess arrows well, on the market. I would tell you they're just tried and and proven. No other company can say that their hunting arrow has won national and international level pro level competition. I mean, it's that good of an arrow. Um, David Hauser won the U.S. Target Nationals last year with a Velocity Hunter. The previous year, Bridger Deaton won the overall World Cup. It's not a fluke. You know, I've shot world record scores with pro hunters at 90 meters. Um, not competition, but I mean, I've I took second at the nationals with a kinetic chaos um, the year before. So I mean, it's no other company can say that about their hunting arrows. Got yeah. All righty. Well, Tim, I tell you what. I know if I've had an education today, the listeners are going to absolutely love this. I want to say, first off, thanks for taking time out of your day to uh, to talk about this. And if anybody has any questions or wants to find out more about Gold Tip, where should we send them? Sure. Well, send them to customer service here at Gold Tip. Uh, the number here is 800-551-0541. And on top of that, another reason that people should shoot Gold Tip is is the guys that work here are learning the same stuff that I'm teaching them. They're they're very well versed on our product. They're very well well versed on fixing problems and making, you know, recommendations. And that's Gold Tip and Bee Stinger. So um, we have very very good customer service here. You're not just getting somebody that knows how to do RMAs. You're getting people that actually use the product and are you know very good. I don't know about you guys, but my brain is full after listening to Tim talk about. Uh, all that stuff that he talked about today. Um, what's really cool is I've been hunting for over half of my life now and have never heard about some of these techniques, uh, these tuning techniques. And um, to be honest with you, I'm planning on implementing some of those into my setup this year. And one that I'm really considering is the fourth fletch on the arrow. Now, I don't know if it's going to work or not for me, but I've heard not only Tim talk about it, but another person, another couple people talk about it in articles that I've read. And uh, it seems to be, you know, I don't know if it's popular or just science that it makes it work better, but I, I really want to give it a try and uh, I'll let everybody know how, how that goes once I get uh, my new setup. But moving forward, Gold Tip has decided to take part in this week's Nine Finger Giveaway, and they are offering a dozen Pro Hunter arrows of any size you want, 
And uh, how to win is if you want to be entered, you have to go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page, find the post that mentions this podcast, and share it. Now, I'm averaging somewhere around six to seven hundred, maybe even nine. Uh, 800, 8 or 900 downloads per episode. So with that said, I should have, if you want a free dozen arrows, there needs to be 500 shares on the Facebook page. I really want to get this out to as many people as possible. I'm getting a good response from it. And I know you guys are enjoying it too because you continue to email me. Uh, First off, I want to say thanks for the support. Now, anyway... How do you win this dozen pro hunter arrows from gold tip? Go to the Facebook page that mentions this podcast and share it. Then go to the, the gold tip Facebook page and comment nine fingers sent me again, nine fingers sent me make that comment on gold tips, Facebook page. And, uh, real quick, that's two things you have to do. Share it on the nine finger Chronicles, Facebook page and comment, Nine Fingers sent me on the Gold Tip Facebook page, and that's how you enter. I'll pick one winner late next week and probably Friday next week. And other than that, that's how you get entered, and you're going to get a free dozen arrows. And from the sounds of Tim talking, they're pretty badass. So first off, or first off, I've already said first off, second off, third off, fourth off, Thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it. If you haven't already, uh, go to iTunes and uh, subscribe or download or whatever it is you do. Leave a comment. I I would love to um, have you guys leave a comment of of how you like it. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, email me at ninefingerchronicles at gmail.com. Make sure you're visiting all my social media avenues, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And last but not least, when you're out in the woods and you're in a tree, wear your damn safety harness.